Do not adjust your frequency. You are about to enter a dimension. A dimension of sight. A dimension of sound. A dimension of mind. A dimension that redefines radio in Windsor and Detroit. You are now entering C-Jam 99.1 FM. to Magna Carta Pro Bono Radio on CJAM 99.1 FM. This is Summer and Steven, your host for this afternoon. And if you don't remember from last time, we're both first-year law students here at the University of Windsor. Um, so we're going to give you a little bit of an introduction to Pro Bono Students Canada as an organization if this is your first time tuning in. We'd like to extend a warm welcome and recap exactly what our organization PBSC is all about. Since Windsor has a huge social justice focus, Pro Bono fits in perfectly with its work to match law student volunteers with organizations in order to deliver legal services which are in great need but lack sufficient resources to retain legal counsel. All projects under this organization are under the supervision of a lawyer and Pro Bono not only provides law students with the chance to volunteer but they also develop legal schools and it has a positive impact on the legal profession by promoting the value of pro bono services by aiming to increase access to justice across Canada through its 22 chapters in Canadian law schools across the country. In each of our weekly shows we'll be highlighting various pro bono projects, their student volunteers and their experiences with pro bono students Canada on their projects in the Windsor Law chapter. We're just going to throw out a little disclaimer that before we get into legal discussion on this show, we'd like to let everyone know that anything on this radio said on this radio talk show are opinion of those people only and do not reflect CJM as a radio station. So if you're a return listener, you'll know we like to start off the show by discussing a couple local legal issues, whether it be here in Windsor or neighboring Detroit or somewhere in the nearby community. Uh, before getting into our interview for this week, which is a good one, I'll let you know. So stay tuned for that in the second half of the hour. So the first issue we're going to look at, it comes from a Windsor Star article entitled The Long-Suffering Voters of Essex. And now that was published in the Windsor Star on March 7th. It was written by Ann Jarvis. And what this is about is Essex Mayor Larry Snively, he's headed to court on March 30th after the Ontario Provincial Police charged him with improperly procuring votes under the Municipal Elections Act. So that's related to the 2018 mayoral election, which Snively won in Essex. And in response to this, Snively has hired top criminal defense lawyer Patrick Ducharme of Ducharme Weber, a local Windsor firm, and he's expected to plead not guilty. So that charge, as I said, it's related to the 2018 election, and the charge is specifically that he misused proxy votes on his way to win that election. So there's a few different layers to this issue. The first thing that... I thought it was very interesting is let's, you know, the, the case begins, the trial begins at the end of this month. Even if Mayor Snively is found to be guilty of misusing these proxy votes, which obviously we don't know at this point, but let's say he were to be found guilty, it's highly unlikely that the election itself would be overturned. So now we're going to get into the legal mumbo jumbo of it a little bit, the, uh, the old legal jargon. The reason for that is this case does not meet what is referred to in Canadian law as the magic number test. So the magic number test is, it's the precedent set by the Supreme Court of Canada. It's been in effect in Canada for a long time. I think, 
I was looking up the history of it. The first case I saw was a 1950 case, Blanchard v. Cole, which was a Nova Scotia Supreme Court case where they they didn't refer to it as the magic number test at the time, but it was in essence the same idea. And basically what this test does is it states that an election will be annulled if the problematic ballots are equal to or more than the, win, the winning uh, party's margin of victory. So what, first of all, what does that really mean, I'm, in case I'm not explaining it clear? The problematic ballots are the ones that are in question that are being investigated, and the winner's margin of victory is obviously, you know, how many votes the winner had cast in their favor more than the, uh, the next party in line. So in this case, Mr. Marison Ively won by 117 votes, and there were a total number of 95 proxy votes cast. So even if there was something improper that took place with every single proxy vote, which we obviously don't know to be the case, you know, the investigation hasn't taken place, but even if there was, the margin of victory, 117, is still greater than the, than the prob- potentially problematic number of, uh, of votes. So because that magic number is not reached, even if he's found guilty, um, the election results would not be overturned. So it's interesting, too, when we were looking at the magic number test because it infa- inherently favors the challenger. Um, because it, the test itself, it assumes that every single vote that is potentially problematic, in this case, the 95 votes held by proxy, it assumes that all of them were problematic. So yeah, there's, there's, true. there's no reason to believe that every, at this point, that every single one of these votes was held um, and f- voted in favor of the mayor. So that was something I found interesting. But, you know, the people in the Supreme Court are a fair bit smarter and uh, more well better versed in the law than I, so... I'm sure there's a very good reason for that. Yeah. So the thing, as we go through the article in the state and the uh, story itself, the police are not saying at this time how many votes themselves have actually been affected. We do know there were 95 proxy votes. But Richard Pollack, who is a lawyer who was hired by some Essex residents to investigate this, he himself checked all 95 proxy votes, and he had this to say. This is a direct quote. A significant number of them were clearly irregular. They were in the dozens, and there's no question about that. So... Now we know there was some, no, no, but we have a, a strong feeling here when reading that quote that there's something, uh, something fishy afoot. So one example that Richard Pollack, the, the lawyer, gave of an irregularity was a, in one of the proxy votes, a person who is named as the elector. So, you know, that's the person who wants to vote but, but um, was una- unable to for whatever reason. He is appointing a proxy, but a different person signed for him as the elector, which is, you know, you should be signing as your, yourself if you're electing someone else to vote for you. So that was just one example of uh, an irregularity that he saw. So um, one other example that Mr. Pollock stated was in his investigation of the 95 proxy votes, he discovered some evidence that some of the proxy votes were solicited. So the intended usage of a proxy vote is you're entitled to vote, you want to vote, but you can't, so you yourself seek someone else to be your proxy. What he said was happening is people were soliciting others to say, let me be your proxy. So... That's not really the way the system is supposed to work. It's a very fishy thing that Mr. Pollock discovered that, you know, I'm let me let me vote for you. It's uh, the investigation will obviously uncover much more than what we know at this time. But these were some of the examples of of what Mr. Pollock saw that was uh, a little questionable in the process. So you looked into this article a little bit deeper than I did. But in terms of that, essentially, People were being sought out as proxies, even though they had no intention to be one. Okay. Yeah, so it's a little, a little fishy. Yeah, yeah. there's some something going on there. The whole thing about this is too. I, you know, I was reading the article and I was trying to do a little bit of legal research. There's not, there's not much precedent for. I, I, I couldn't even see the law on um, soliciting to be a proxy yeah. and things like that. I'll get into precedent a little bit maybe towards the end, but it's not. There aren't a lot of cases in Canada where people are, chi- are charged for violating the. Um, the voting for a violation of voting. So the thing is, these charges are going against Mayor Snively, and obviously he wasn't very a very big fan of it. So he himself stated, Mayor, Mayor Snively, last week that he did not knowingly do anything wrong. And then with a, a little bit more anger, he said, this is a direct quote, a few angry people are trying to make a good council look bad for their own political reasons. So that's a pretty big accusation right there. Uh, Councillor Chris Vander Dolan, who also was on the mayor's side of this argument, he had an even more uh, aggressive accusation, you could say, when he referred to this as an attempted coup by a determined group. So you don't see many coups happening in Essex County, but a a, a big accusation being levied there. 
So Mayor Smadley said he will not step down from his role as mayor until the court has ruled on this charge, and then we'll see how this plays out. Uh, it just it could be very interesting to see how it happens because, as I said, there's not a lot of precedent. I mean, when I was looking for violations of, um, sorry, the Municipal Elections Act, the only two I could really find were there was one in Nova Scotia, and I think that was in the year 1913. So oh. yeah, so not not too much. There was one in Ottawa in 1991, the case of. Arnold v. Harris, but that was more checking the, the constitutionality of these municipal election acts. So, where how will the proxy votes, the the problematic proxy votes play out in court? We shall see at the at the end of the month when Mayor Smadley heads to court. Interesting, interesting. So, we're going to move on to our next topic, and that is recent travelers um, to coronavirus can expect to be denied entry into the United States. Well, uh, I think I might have miswrote the title because the destination is not coronavirus. Recent, I think it's recent travelers to the United States. Connects, This is a Stephen Adler mistake. Summer was reading my quote, my quote here. I wrote recent travelers to coronavirus can expect to be denied entry into United States. I think I meant to meant to write that recent travelers to coronavirus hotspots can expect to be denied entry. All so right. that was my fault. All I'm right. sorry, Summer. So that's okay. We've all heard about it. Coronavirus. It's been sort of the talk lately. And so this comes out of the Windsor Star, a March 6th article by Dave Waddell. And it's border agents, Windsor Regional Hospital, keeping a watchful eye on coronavirus. Um, so it talks about that American border officials have stated that anyone who has recently returned from coronavirus hotspots in China or Iran shouldn't be expected to be allowed entry into the United States. Chris Grogan, a United States Customs and Border Protection of Public Affairs officer who is based out of Michigan, said that if you have been to China and Iran and present yourself at a port of entry less than 14 days after returning, you'll be denied entry. This policy does not apply to U.S. residents, immediate family of American citizens, or flight crews. So there's a little bit of leeway for certain um, types of people. Officer Grogan also said that it's a big misconception that Customs and Border Protections agents are doing screenings at the border. The Center for Disease Control personnel are stationed at the Detroit Metro Airport, and people who have been to coronavirus hotspots in the last 14 days or those showing signs of carrying the virus are referred to the CDC for screening. There's still no restrictions on people traveling from other countries which have had large outbreaks of the virus, such as Italy and South Korea. And I was just talking to one of my friends recently about this whole epidemic, pandemic, whatever we want to... Hopefully not a pandemic yet, but yeah, it but could, could be there. I've, I, I've heard there's talk that it could get that way. I don't know. We'll see what yeah. happens with it, I suppose. But um, We're, we are law students, not med students, yeah. so take our opinion with a Did grain of salt. Did you actually see the? I saw it on Instagram, the video of Cristiano Ronaldo going into the stadium, uh, the, like the fake, fake high fiving because they had no fans. Well, and that's yeah. So you got to think. It's interesting. In I guess it hasn't been as like bad that. here. I think there's, as I saw yesterday or a few days ago, it was 31 cases in Ontario last I checked. It could be up more um, by now, mm-hmm. but. Italy's banning uh, large gatherings. I think yeah. I saw certain countries are banning funerals, weddings. Yeah, it's there's been a lot of talk. Like even even in the U.S., like a lot of the major sporting um, leagues have said they're gonna stop. They may stop doing the fans. It's I know, not like I know a, it's the, a precaution. The National Hockey League already took the first step of um, no media in the locker room yeah. after games, which seems kind of reasonable. I don't think but players the, would be too upset yeah, about that. I, I, don't, anyways. I don't think they're too choked. But you can see there's been reports coming up from the four major leagues, um, MLB, NBA, yeah. NHL, and NFL, that playing games without spectators is, uh, you know, it's in the plans of mm-hmm. what could happen if it goes in that direction. So it's interesting what could happen here. I know I think South by Southwest, in, which is in Austin, Texas, I believe, already yeah. got canceled amongst, you know, many other festivals. I saw some yeah. music festivals have already been canceled in the U.S. So Yeah, I heard the IIHF, um, the women's – championship was canceled yeah. this i think this past weekend yeah it's good where they was that? i think that, that was taking place in halifax which yeah is a shame because 
I don't think there is the pro, a paid professional league for the women is on the way now, or ho- hopefully yeah. there's a lot. It's a big contentious yeah. issue because there's the two leagues. But I know the double IHF showcases are a huge thing for mm-hmm. women's hockey to get, you know, get the, the just the the players' names even out there more. So hopefully there can be a paid league, a properly paid league soon. Mm-hmm. So it is a big shame for those ladies that they're not going to get to compete at that. Yeah, it's it's really affecting a lot of people. And of personal opinion, I don't think we would be shocked to see more countries. Lists that we mentioned, like Italy and South Korea, added to the list. It's crazy um, that Italy isn't even already there. I think yeah. Northern Italy in particular. I, I, I heard Northern outbreaks. Italy was sort of like bordering in and like the I think input. Oh, yeah, there's a huge uh, quarantine happening there. Yeah, that's what I heard as well. Um, so far, in terms of locally, there have been no reported cases of the virus in Michigan. And to date, about 31 cases in Ontario. Um, that, some, was, that was last I checked, so it's possible yeah. we're uh, a few more than that yeah. by now. But um, Some of the Ontario cases have been linked to people returning from trips. And I think just in general, it's been a huge travel um, that's been sort of the, not cause, but the carriers yeah, of 100%. it. 100%. Uh, people coming back from the yeah, hot spots. Yeah, for sure. Thankfully, in most cases, people I know... You come back from a place that that is a hotspot, and they're going in self isolation mm-hmm. at least right away, if not at the latest when they start to feel symptoms. Yeah. So people are doing the mature thing and being responsible. For sure, and I think like just generally traveling can be an issue. Even like when you're doing things like giving blood, they won't take your blood if you've traveled to certain yeah. countries within the last because disease could be a risk. And here we sort of see that amplified. So a, an interesting local lens to add to this was I was looking. Last week on, what is the date of this? March 4th, uh, the University of Windsor Office of Student Experience sent out a coronavirus update. And it says some things that are accurate, you know, at least in my opinion. Here's a quote. We urge our campus community not to make assumptions about the risk of students, staff, or faculty based on their ethnicity. Obviously, correcting what the university should be saying. This is a disease that affects humans. It doesn't affect any specific type of human. But then the quote goes on to say, or travel history, which, in my personal opinion, should we not be considering someone's travel history when considering their risk of coronavirus? If someone had just come back from northern Italy or <laughs> Iran or Wuhan, China, or a place that is a hotspot, would would I not be concerned? I don't, I don't think I would be making dinner plans with that. I don't, I don't think so either. I thought that was, I mean, you know, maybe, I'm sure the people at the university have their reasons for saying that, but Clearly, the government of the United States is considered is considering travel history a pretty important aspect of stopping the spread of the disease. So I'm not really sure why our, our university isn't thinking that travel history is an important thing. It's particularly recent travel history, but that is my two cents on the opinion. So who knows what uh, – I think my yeah. two cents uh, carries about two cents worth of weight. So. <laughs> um, definitely. And uh, I don't know, are you going to career day on Wednesday? I am not, but no, I did see but the, an interesting the, email. The email about we're just not going to shake hands with anyone. So it's in something that would be considered a very professional setting and like greeting people with handshakes. They've sort of nixed that. Which is a shame because I've, be, I've been told I have a lovely shake, a very firm, <laughs> dominant her. grip. Make a great connection when I give you the grip. So it sucks, <laughs> but you know, the precautions we have to take. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, so sort of getting back to this article, Officer Grogan said that he was unaware of anyone that has been turned away from traveling from Ontario to Michigan. I think for that, that for us, great. We're going back and forth, um, at least once or twice a week for school. So the dual JD program is wonderful. Yeah. Um, he also said that while they're monitoring the situation and learning that, as the virus progresses, as it is the rest of the world, that he has not heard any conversations about a situation where the border would be closed if the virus became rampant. So it's actually interesting that Officer Grogan was saying that no one here in Michigan has been turned away. Sorry, no one here at the Michigan, Ontario Mm -hmm. has been turned away. Because I saw a CBC article and a CTV article that said up to 100 Canadians have been turned away at the American border so far because of recent travel history due to hotspots. Obviously, they're not referring to Michigan where there's no cases and Ontario where there's been mm-hmm. a limited, thankfully, a limited amount so far. I would assume based on that that I think it was a West Coast. It was a West Coast um, yeah. CBC office releasing it. And we all know that the state of Seattle has had a, a large outbreak so far. So I think that is where they're referring to, although the, the article did not get specific about which um, American, part of the American-Canadian border. But 
so it hasn't affected us yet locally, but it is, as the two countries as a whole, begun to to have a little bit of an effect. Yeah, I definitely think so. And, like, even this past weekend, I was – it's on people's minds. I was at Costco, and I saw people, like, clearly stockpiling really? for I... – Specifically, toilet paper and wa- cases of water, like bottled water. So I was going to say, if you ever saw me shop at Costco with my mother, like you would think there was a like <laughs> oh, something right. something about to happen the way we shop. But that's mostly for like snacks, big bags of chips. Yeah, and, you know, actually, a, I, a lot of I, the frozen I did foods. see someone else with like several several boxes of like saltine crackers as well as Dad's cookies. The thing about Costco is too, though, like. Every item you buy looks like you're stocking up. You, you can't buy one cookie. You go yeah. buy the, the three brown pack. <laughs> three boxes even, in even one ketchup. big box. Can, yeah, it yeah. always comes in threes yep. or two. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. But, I mean, I guess better safe than sorry, right? I guess, yeah. As long as – the thing is, too, it, as long as you're acting reasonable, I don't, I, you know, I don't think there's any reason to panic. Yeah. Once again, only a law student, not a medical student, but – as long as we're, <laughs> what do we know? Yeah, but uh, I think you know, we just all have to take the necessary precautions. Wash yeah, hands I think regularly, so, but you know, it's def- – no, no, sorry. Finish. Yeah, I think it's just definitely interesting to see how all this plays out. Like, is it going to blow over? Is it going to blow up? Yeah. I know multiple people who have travel plans. Some of my good friends are going to Dominican in at the end of the month. So Really? I don't know. My brother and his girlfriend, they're going to London and Paris in May. Like, I don't know. Yeah, we'll it, it definitely see. adds a, another element to, yeah, it's to like, think about what you're doing. Would you travel at all? And I'm not sure. Lo- lovely, so sure we live like... in lovely Windsor, Ontario, so I don't need to travel too much. Yeah, I know. It, and it's a fun place the here, guy, the border city. The guy who was on the TTC, did oh, you hear about him? Oh, he, he was riding the TTC for yeah, a few days. Yeah, three days. Oh, my. With it, and Wait, he, was he symptomatic when he was doing that? Yeah, he had it. Um, and he, he still I, chose to ride the TTC? I I. I don't have all the exact information, but to my knowledge and what I've heard on the news and read is that he maybe had like a little bit of a cough, but didn't really know he had these symptoms. So it was more like, that's the thing too with the carriers is you can carry it based on what I've read. You can carry it for two to three weeks and not even and be have. Yeah, so it's like crazy. you could be passing it and not really know. But so, you yeah, know, we all got to be careful. You wash your hands. You know, don't get too close to anyone. And, exactly. You know, still have your friends close. Your enemies even closer, but maybe not <laughs> random people on the TTC. Yeah. So. So I guess we can move on now uh, to our final local legal issue, which is I think the saddest one of them all. That the Windsor, <laughs> obviously kidding, but the Windsor Law hockey team uh, fell fell to Western Law here at Addy Knox Arena on Saturday night. So when Western Law came to town, it was uh, it was a grudge match, the battle of the century. Some would say that we were out for blood in in non-contact hockey game, but thankfully no blood came. But Windsor Law lost four uh, one. I will point out that one of those goals was an empty netter with uh, thirty seconds left, so it was more like a three one loss. Okay, okay. I finished the game uh, plus minus of even. You know, I was yeah. All for you one hold goal this one close to your heart because you were actually playing, right? It, it hurt real bad. <laughs> I had a lot of friends in the stands who, you know, what I haven't seen them yet in class today, but uh, I don't think they're thinking quietly, quite as highly of me this week as they did last yeah. week. It, it just sucks to disappoint the fans, but thankfully this was. Uh, this was just a, a little bit of a teaser. The real battle is next week in Kingston, Ontario, when every single Ontario law school shows up for the Queen's Law Cup, and I think we will get our revenge on Western Law. Yeah. I'm hope I, I, I'm not making a Mark Messier guarantee here, but I've got high expectations for the Windsor Law right. the Law hockey team coming up this weekend in Queen's Law for the Queen's Law Cup. So now that anyone, you've oh, manifested that, the yeah. whole school's got this on your back. If anyone's looking to make the, sh- the short six-and-a-half-hour drive to Kingston, Ontario from Windsor, you know what? There's a spot in my car. We can hop in, <laughs> have a great little drive out there, and uh, come support the boys, Windsor Law Hockey. So at this point, I think we're going to take a short break. We'll uh, have a couple messages come your way, a couple great songs come your way, and we will be right back with Magna Carta Pro Bono Radio. Damen und Herren, für Ihr Hör und Sehvergnügen präsentiere ich Ihnen von Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, Kanada. Rock and roll the ship dogs. Got a hole where my heart should be. Two, three, four.
The Green Bean Cafe is your independent cafe specializing in fair trade, organic, and premium coffee products. Along with our delicious coffee, we serve other great food and drinks like tea, fresh baked goods, sandwiches, and more. We have two locations to serve you better. Visit us at the lower level of 2320 Wyandotte Street, across from the new engineering building, or the third floor at 300 Willette Avenue's Windsor Star Building. Get hours and more info at www.greenbeancoffee.ca. Okay, and we are back. And joining us in studio right now, we have our special guests here from Pro Bono Students Canada. We have Invir Danoa and Jacob Benson. They're both fellow Windsor Law students of ours, our classmates in the 1L Dual Program. And they are both volunteering with the Landlord and Tenant Responsibilities Project. So, first of all, gentlemen, thank you for joining us in studio. We're excited to hear about your experience. And maybe, Invir, you want to start us off, give everyone a brief introduction, maybe uh, where you went for your undergrad. Um, yeah. So. Sure, sure. Thanks for having us, first of all. It's Best introduction I've had. Not that, not that I've had many. They call me a young Ryan Whitney here. On the <laughs> so um, I went to undergrad at uh, McMaster. It's a university in Hamilton, Ontario. Uh, studied social psychology. I kind of always knew that I wanted to go to law school from a pretty early age, like sometime in high school. Um, have a couple lawyers in my family, an uncle. So I always kind of looked up to them. So I, I don't know. It was just always in the back of my mind. Um, uh, so yeah, that's pretty much it. Just having role models that are in the field. That's the main reason why I had to come and um, Yeah, I like that. You had your goal set up pretty early yeah. and uh, Jacob any similar, uh, you know Similar question here where you went to undergrad Maybe when you decided you were interested in going to law school things like that. Yeah Yeah, well, I did my undergrad here in Windsor, so I haven't strayed too far from home. I was born and raised here as well um, I kind of from the beginning of my undergrad knew that I wanted to go into law school. I was actually trying to map out my undergrad career um, to prepare myself for law school. That didn't work out that well anyways, but I ended up here anyway, so it doesn't matter, I guess. But uh, yeah, I, I was interested in law school from the beginning, took some business courses. I did my undergrad in business. I took some business courses that intersected with the law, and I found that, oh, the, they sounded really interesting, so I kind of tried to pursue that a little bit further. And I'm interested in going to like labor and employment law, so I mean, um, they kind of intersected in that area. So that's kind of where um, I thought it would be a good idea to go to school for this and pursue this long term. Already aware of the type of law you're interested in. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I, I don't know the confident. extent of uh, yeah my confidence in that awareness, but well, I'm just well as I said before, we're all in the same class here. We're first year law students. We're all doing the dual JD program between America and uh, Canada. And I'll be honest, I have no idea what kind of law I want to go into. And I would hope some of the other uh, four people in the room here feel similar, but impressed that you I, already have a good idea. I feel like I've got an idea, uh, but... Maybe I'm behind the eight No, I can't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah a little bit What about you, Inverge? Too you know? early for me. Like, yeah. I know I kind of want to do, like, something related to business, maybe even, like, sports and entertainment. Yeah. But, like, specifics. Sports and entertainment law conference next Thursday. Yeah. Buy your tickets. Come out, guys. Is that, is that where they're raffling the, uh, the Eric Carlson yeah, jersey? Yeah, yeah. Is it too late to get in on that? No, you can still get in. And I don't think there's a ton of people with tickets. So oh, really? Chances yeah, are go. high. Yeah, yeah. Drop a few. What, can uh, non-law students do that for the listeners at home? or? Um, I think so. <laughs> oh, I, don't do it, though. I want the jersey. <laughs> Do you know who's going to be talking? Or? Um, so we are announcing our speakers this week. Our first one just came out, and I believe it's Ryan Donnelly. He oh, yeah. uh, played in the OHL. He was drafted to the NHL, and I believe he works in marketing now. Um, but, yeah, so more speaker announcements okay. coming out this week. Very intriguing. <laughs> very. very well. um, so moving on, what kind of – gave you guys the idea to get involved in PBSC in general? Well, for me, talking to upper years, just talking about how their experiences were pretty rewarding and how it just looks good on your resume, honestly. So mm -hmm. that that was a big part of it, just talking to people and then um, just going, uh, what was it, during orientation when they mm -hmm. when they were talking about um, all the different projects that we do. It was just a, seemed like a good opportunity and I think it worked out pretty well. Yeah, I would echo that thought. I think it uh, largely came from other people talking about the um, rewarding experience and how impactful any of the projects can be. I mean, we happen to work on the landlord and tenant uh, maintenance project, but they, you know, just the, the organization in general does a lot for the community. For me, I'm from Windsor, so it means a lot for me to be able to participate in an organization that gives back to my local community. So that was a big part of it for me. 
Well, I definitely feel that. That's uh, pretty relatable for why I got involved, and I don't know if yeah, you feel the same way. I would agree. Um, so we can move on now that you brought up the, the Landlord and Tenant Responsibilities Project. So one of you maybe want to give us a brief um, overlay. What, what does that entail? What kind of stuff do you do at that project? So we, uh, the Landlord and Tenant Maintenance Project is meant to be a public legal education project. So we create a pamphlet that outlines um, for landlords and tenants what their rights and their responsibilities are. So it's kind of, uh, it's meant to be informative so that people are aware of, of that because a lot of times people aren't, sorry. And um, so, so yeah, and then the second aspect of it is we're supposed to do a, a public presentation, um, which we've yet to do this semester, but that's coming coming down the pipeline still. That's coming so, up. Yeah. So yeah, you're practicing at some point. Your, your public speaking skills. Yeah. <laughs> already very well yeah, exactly. to do, We're so. warming you up yeah. for it. Yeah, this is great. So that's pretty interesting. I know in undergrad, I went to Western, and uh, I definitely had varying relationships with my with my landlords. I mean, at, yeah. at times, not ideal relationships, you could say. So is there anything sure. you guys have learned about the responsibilities on either end that, you know, interesting? When we were given the task um, and we talked to the Friendship Center, the, they said a reoccurring problem was landlords not taking care of mold. In the in houses for, for I had some that. reason. I had Did that. you? No, I, I lived in. I lived in. Uh, well, I don't want to change the viewers' perception. Today. We've developed so strong after la- over the last six months. But I lived in a fraternity house one year at Western. Nice, and, nice. Uh, the basement was basically boarded up, and like, like it looked like uh, like the guys who would come fix it were wearing hazmat suits. So it made me really it made me feel really comfy living upstairs. Oh, yeah, but uh, yeah, there was mold, and they basically had to gut the entire place. So the landlords did deal with that in that scenario. So, yeah. so we, we had good guys. Yeah, that's basically the issue that that we're dealing with, except the landlords weren't really? doing anything. So we're just kind of trying to make it a point so that so that the tenants learn that they have these rights and they can talk to the landlords and possibly bring some legal action. And mold specifically, something like as a tenant, I don't, I, I've never experienced it, but from what I know, it's like you breathe it in and you're not really aware of it, but yeah. it can have like some serious it's effects. It's really, yeah, yeah. really bad for your health for sure. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's something that they should know about. I've been looking for a house in Windsor for next year, so I'm, I'm hoping to learn I, some key information. There you go. You're picking up. Well, I was lucky enough you. to get like a brand new house and oh, it's like, really? oh, it's so really? great. Yeah. yeah. But actually one of my friends had a big, not so much mold, but basically like a flooding basement and like a sewage backup. Oh, I think I heard it. about that. Yeah. yeah. I recall the <laughs> first semester uh, social event at that house. Yeah. 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 I know some <laughs> of the, the two L's, they lived in that house too, yeah. and they said it was not pretty either. Recurring problem, maybe. Yeah. Sewage These in the basement. Need yeah. to take a look yeah. at Have you guys it. uncovered any laws on that? It sounds pretty legal to me. Sewage, yeah. no. <laughs> Your buddy Chase actually took me down there just to show me. Did he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, since then, i just been away from the Chase sewage. Van Zandt getting a shout out on the Oh man. Okay. Um, so you mentioned that you're creating a pamphlet and ideally a presentation this semester. What, and you mentioned, I think the Friendship Center was it? Yeah. What, can you tell us a little more about that organization and how you're working with them? The Can-Am Friendship Center, it's, um, basically a center helping Indigenous communities in Windsor. So they're really just focused on helping them in every way possible. Like me and Jacob, we took a tour there also with Sophie. Um, our other partner. Yeah, shout out to Sophie. She's our <laughs> partner. She couldn't make it. She today. couldn't make it today. Sophie, yeah. everyone's been saying you're the heart of this project. So yeah. right? she it really is. is. You're not in she studio really with us is. today. But yeah, um, we took a tour around their facility, and it's like it was a brand new, really nice facility, and they have a, uh, uh, what's it called? Like a section for Community for area. yeah, for like every topic, whether it's like mental health, housing, any kind of relationships there, and they seem like really passionate about it. So after we got that tour, it was really like made us feel like we got to do a good job with making this pamphlet, making sure that they know their rights and responsibilities. Yeah, it was really eye-opening because uh, just walking through the building and having the the contact give us the tour, like we realized like how busy they actually were and how like we could actually, this project that we were working on might actually be able to help alleviate some of the pressure that they're under. Mm-hmm. So I mean that in, in itself I think highlighted the uh, potential impact that we could have with our, our project. So. Shout out to one of the workers there that cooks a steak every day for lunch. You yeah. Remember that? <laughs> yeah. Does he, does he look healthy? He looked he healthy. Did, he, you did. Know, he looks like he, he looks he's like he was living his that. best life. I visited South America a couple years ago. They ate steak pretty much every day there. I'm crazy, dude. And they, they by look, day, they by day like three, I'm living. sick of it. Yeah. <laughs> My heart can't take that. Yeah. You need an afternoon nap after every lunch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> 
So uh, is it, oh, sorry. Go nope, ahead. go ahead. Oh, I was just going to ask, <laughs> so you mentioned that the Friendship Center and dealing with, um, helping indigenous communities with that. Is that one of the main focuses of who this project aims to help, or does it aim at any specific landlord-tenant relationships, or? I think the the pamphlet itself that we created is, is applicable to anybody yeah, in Ontario. Terrible. It's based on Ontario law. But uh, the project was specifically geared towards the Canon Indian Friendship Center, so um, I think that's who it was targeted at helping. That said, I think our project probably has a wider berth in terms of actual um, who it applies to. For sure. Um, and then getting into, uh, from this project, what have you guys learned, whether it be like specific landlord-tenant things or more general like transferable skills that you can take with you? Anything? Um, honestly, I learned more about uh, just coordinating with people and learning with people. That was like the biggest challenge of this project. Mm -hmm. Like the, the rights and responsibilities is kind of, they're there, you can just read them. Yeah. Um, but working with a bunch of people and like coordinating a bunch of people's schedules, like I learned that that's like really the hardest part of some of these jobs. Like you can get the information online, you can put it together nicely and make sure people can understand. But when you have like all three of our schedules and we have our supervising lawyer and then the Can-Am Friendship Center, like yeah. just trying to figure out like when we could all come together, like that's been the hardest part. Gets hectic, yeah. definitely gets hectic. Uh, yeah, I'd say kind of the same thing. Coordinating everything is, is definitely a challenge, but we, we learned that early on just yeah. to stay at, on top of things as much as we could. Um, as far as like actually about the project, like content wise, yeah, there's a lot of people that get screwed over by their landlords, I think. And so that's why as we were doing the research, we we're kind of like, yeah, this is like actually really important for people to know. And I found like I didn't even know half this stuff anyways. So like if you're out there being a, you know, you're someone's tenant and like there, there are minor issues that you're like, ah, whatever, like I'll just take care of this when it's really your it's, landlord's yeah. responsibility yeah. that could make a huge difference in your living situation. I so. feel like it's definitely like something that we can take away as students too, because obviously students, a lot of them are yeah. renting. And if you're not renting now, then as a young adult in the working world, you're likely gonna rent before you yeah. can buy a property yourself. So I feel like, yeah, just general knowledge is probably yeah. good I, to have. I wish I actually had more knowledge, like in first year of undergrad, even now actually, what am I, yeah, six years removed from first year of undergrad, still renting a place and I feel like I don't know many of the rights or things I'm entitled to in a house. Yeah, I feel like there's sometimes you come across these issues and like, you're like, oh, like I'll just deal with it, but you don't actually like, yeah. You don't have Do you, to. Yeah. You have these rights, but you might not know about yeah. them, so you don't really act on them. I think a lot of I mean? people just get lazy with it, too. Yeah, like, exactly. Yeah, I'll do it whatever, later, and then you just later, never yeah. do it. Yeah. But yeah, no, you should know your rights. Well, my landlord last year used to bang, I swear to God, this is true. He used to bang on the door nonstop at 6 a.m. on garbage day to get us all, all of us to wake up and come out to take out the garbage. What? And it was always a bad, it was like a, like a game of chicken. Like, I wasn't yeah. getting up, you know? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. He, he, knew the, he knew the rights. Like, he can't just come yeah, in. Yeah, you're not supposed to come yeah, in on He never came in. 24 he never came hours. in, but he would bang on that door at 6 a.m. to what get out of We would never, we would never leave. Yeah. And well, that would we wow. were friends with the girls who lived in, you know, it was a four unit um, massive house. Mm -hmm. The girls who lived in the back were chickens. They would get out of bed every morning at <laughs> 6 a.m. Oh, 6 a.m. Wow. Clean out the garbage. That's rough. Yeah. Jeez. My God. Yeah. I don't know where the rights fall on that. I don't know if that, uh, that's <laughs> a common issue that comes a pamphlet up. to their door. Yeah, yeah. yeah. right. Send them a copy of the pamphlet. Yeah. Email him. Yeah. What are, do you have anything, so going into this project, what you expected of it and knowing what, ever you did prior to about landlord tenant issues is, the, is there anything that you expected that's different than what you got involved in or is it all sort of like anything different than what we expected uh i think or it's pretty same, I, I mean it's pretty par for the course i mean you know I, the description's pretty accurate. When I applied for it, it said we'd be making a pamphlet yeah. <laughs> outlining the responsibilities. Yeah. You know, it's pretty basic. We did the research. We wrote it all out, yeah. banged out a pamphlet. We're like, there we go, bingo. It was just the logistics of getting it going. Yeah, that I was that the only was... thing that we didn't expect, to be honest. Yeah. So could you guys see yourself uh, staying involved in, not necessarily on this project, but on pro bono next year? Because I know it's that time of year now. I'm considering if I want to do this again next oh, yeah. year. Because obviously, as law students, we all have a lot on our plates. Yeah. I don't know if you guys have given it any thought yet. I might be putting you on the spot. <laughs> For sure, no, I definitely can. Yeah. Like, I, I, I think given the amount of time we've had to put into it, it's, it's not like hugely overburdening yeah. us or anything like that. It is an extra time commitment, but you know, like we talked about, the the impact of our work is pretty important. So, yeah. definitely, yeah, I definitely say it's pretty rewarding. I definitely think about it again. Um, obviously, a different project, 
this project seems pretty cool. I'm not going to lie. This is a radio <laughs> show. for your job. Yeah. I, I have been <laughs> having terrible. a great time, you know. I'm a little nervous for end of year feedback. Maybe they're going to pull all the viewers and see which host is their favorite. And <laughs> I don't know if that's going to go so good for me for my, for my odds of coming back next year. But, uh, yeah, it's, Pro Bono Radio has been a great time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. if I would it, agree. If it's going again next year, which I think it has, this is at least the third year in a row. I know it's Yeah, run. I know. Yeah. They've been doing it a few years, for yeah, sure. Yeah, I know. You know, it started a little rough for us. I, I felt like I was a little choppy at first, but slowly perfecting our craft yeah. over the over the school year. And who go. knows, next year maybe I'll be able to, like, speak in full, complete sentences without stopping. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'd say you're a professional at this point. Oh, yeah? Oh, I appreciate uh, that. You got at least one vote there. Oh, man, yeah. Okay, <laughs> Um, well, it sounds like we've uh, we uh, dove into the, the topic quite a bit at this point. I know on Saturday, I think I saw you guys at least at the after party of the Windsor Law Hockey game, which, you know, we already brought up in the first half of the show is a very crushing defeat for the, uh, the Windsor Law Hockey team. Did either of you guys come to the game itself? I didn't make a chance. I, I heard it was a rough game, game but I, I did come to the after party. Yeah. You know what? What we, what we didn't have on the scoreboard, we made up for in school. <laughs> there you go. I like that. <laughs> yeah, that's like that. Sure. It was that's a great sure. showing, that's for sure. There was afterwards. no shortage of heart. That's what Western said as yeah. they left town. <laughs> heart or drinks. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, students, you know, you got to take off uh, the stress sometime. It's a social yeah, yeah, experience, too. For sure. For we get sure. the books hard all, all week, and it's always good to get together and yeah. see everyone on the weekend, too. Yeah. That was a good time. Um, we have any final questions for our, our great um, guest here? I don't think so. Do you guys have anything you'd like to add, either about the project, yourselves, law school in general? Law school is tough. <laughs> Anyone out there uh, thinking about law school? Just, yeah, be Think about it to, really hard. Yeah, think about it real hard. Yeah. No, it's great. It's rewarding. <laughs> I'll, I'll counterbalance this by saying it is rewarding. It is, it is. It's a, yeah. it's a good balance, I agree. A lot of work and a lot of fun, too. We a lot of good people. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Exactly. That's well, what it's all about. Well, guys, Invier, Jacob, thank you so much for taking the time to join us here. Tell us about your uh, project. And obviously, thank you for doing that project. Seems like you're doing a lot of good work. Um, We're going to take another short break, play a song your way, and then we will be back to wrap things up here at Pro Bono Radio.
those plans Don't see me, it's good to feel alive And waste away your time Close your eyes, my sweet baby It's a crazy time It won't change me, try to understand I'm a complicated man A diamond in your hand Tonight We are back here at Pro Bono Radio, but sadly, it is time to say goodbye. Our show for this week is coming to an end. So we spoke to you about Mayor Larry Snively of Essex. He's had decor next month. We spoke to you about the situation at the Canadian and the U.S. border, which, you know, I'm sure you value the, uh, the, opi- the medical opinion of two people with no medical knowledge here, two young <laughs> law students. And, of course, we spoke to you about the Windsor Law Hockey Team. Good luck to them. Their big matchup coming up in Kingston, first game of which is tomorrow, I believe. So good luck to them. Represent Windsor Law well. And, uh, of course, thanks to Enver and Jacob for joining us and telling us about the landlord and tenant um, legal responsibilities and rights. Um, so next week, remember that you can listen to CJAM 99.1 anywhere by going to www.cjam.ca. Tune in next week at the same time from 12 p.m. to 1 p.m. on Fridays to catch our next topic on Magna Carta Pro Bono Radio. Have a great weekend, everyone. Shabbat Shalom.
say it's gonna put some love in your life Don't you really wanna know how it feels Everybody wanna see what it's like We even wanna be inside, it ain't lies We all know there's better things in this life 